Professor Peter Casarella is Professor of Theology at Duke Divinity School. Peter has served as president of the American Cusano Society of Actus and the Academy of Catholic Theologians. He's also a longtime friend and collaborator with the Institute and a key partner in organizing this series. Peter, thank you very much and the floor is yours. Buenas noches y buenas tardes. Good evening to everybody. Buenas noches for those who are with me on the East Coast. Buenas tardes for those who are farther west. Thank you, uh, Michael, for those uh, lovely words. Fratelli, being fratelli, or all the more so being sorelli for Pope Francis, something very concrete. And I would be very remiss if I didn't make at least a, a prefatory gesture tonight about how, with the news from Minneapolis, maybe, just maybe, there's just a faint glimmer of hope in the long struggle in this country to, to achieve racial justice. Together with that, I also wanted to put this uh, presentation tonight in the context of Lumen Christi and maybe just recall one uh, theme that you find in David Tracy's 1970-87 book, uh, Plurality and Ambiguity. He, he takes as an example for all challenges regarding the struggle to achieve a proper interpretation in the midst of plurality and ambiguity, the French Revolution itself, and draws many lines of convergence between the, the ideals of liberty, fraternity, and equality that came from that event to the present, including Medellin 1968 in Latin America. But he doesn't mention the forgotten ideal of the French Revolution, which is the topic for tonight's presentation, fraternité, or better yet, fraternidad. So we have tonight the opportunity to consider Latino insights into fraternity. And we have an excellent speaker to guide us into this path. So let me, without further ado, just say a brief word of introduction regarding my dear friend and longtime colleague, David Lantigua. David is a part Paraguayan, part Cuban, and 100% Floridian, but right now teaches moral theology at the University of Notre Dame, where he's also co-director for the Catholic social tradition minor. David uh, has many publications, recent publications, and I'll just highlight some of those. In 2020, he published Infidels and Empires in a New World Order, Early Modern Spanish Contributions to International Legal Thought with Cambridge Press. And in the same year, Bartolomé Las Casas and the Defense of Amerindian Rights, a brief history with documents co-edited with Lawrence Clayton with University of Alabama Press. He's now working on the third edition of a co-edited volume with Daryl Fashing and Del Duchamp entitled Comparative Religious Ethics, a Narrative Approach to Global Ethics. David was an active participant, something was just mentioned regarding the Network Ecclesia in America when we met in Rio de Janeiro. He was an active participant and presented on colonialisms and the rights of indigenous and that will come out in the forthcoming book that's being edited by Maria Clara Binghamer and myself. And finally, he was the recent recipient of a Louisville Institute sabbatical grant for his future project, The Earth, Earth is the Lord's, Mammon and Popular Social Catholicism in the Global Age of Pope Francis. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to David. And I want to thank you very much, David, for being with us tonight. 
and for agreeing to give this presentation. Great, thank you, Peter, so much for that generous introduction. Um, thank you to the Lumen Christi Institute um, for inviting me to be a part of this, um, this great Hispanic theology uh, series. Um, to all the sponsors that were mentioned by Michael, um, thanks to you um, and thanks to all of you viewers. Buenas noches, uh, buenas tardes. Um, Thank you for joining uh, this event uh, and, and viewing it. And, and for all those, I guess, who will be viewing it in the future, perhaps, thanks for taking the time um, to do so. Let's take a moment here to share my screen. Great, so um, it's a great privilege of mine to, to share with you um, just uh, a commentary here that I have on, uh, Fratelli Tutti, uh, and really trying to emphasize the, the Latino social dimensions of, of this encyclical um, on the topic of globalization from, from the people. Um, Fratelli Tutti has, uh, as you know, was released during the pandemic, um, perhaps has only received fair uh, consideration or, or treatment um, given, given our global situation. Um, it certainly didn't have any of the kind of rollout or anticipation that you saw on something like Laudato Si uh, on Care for Our Common Home. Um, but uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to uh, lose sight of what could be here, um, some, some really important contributions of this document. So that's really what I'm trying to do here by looking at um, the Kind of Latino style of social teaching that we see in, in this document, um, because that's something that doesn't really come out in a good part in most of the commentary, at least in North America uh, and in Europe, uh, on this encyclical. Um, and, and one of the reasons I want to do that is really to, to uh, allay some of the, the criticisms that, or respond to some of the criticisms that, that Pope Francis has thought, um, in particular, uh, his social thought might be prone to vagueness or oversimplification or, or a lack of clarity. Um, this is something that he he's, tends to be criticized for by, um, by skeptics um, or, or that he appears to be changing tradition. Um, so what I really wanna do with this, with this uh, presentation here is, is by looking at the kind of the Hispanic theological background of, of this document and pointing to where those um, Latino social dimensions kind of come out in the document. Um, I, re I really want to, to bring out the, the greater kind of substance and depth, I think that, that actually marks Pope Francis's thought uh, from, from the beginning uh, of, of his pontificate. Although again, that doesn't seem to get um, enough attention sometimes. Um, so the first thing to say is that this document uh, comes after uh, really a, a the, the triumvirate of documents uh, that, that deal with the three themes that he laid out at the beginning of his papacy, uh, the, so, the three social concerns of, of Pope Francis that, that speak to his, his namesake and wanting to choose um, St. Francis. Um, and, and the first one, of course, was the topic of poverty that was addressed specifically in Evangelii Gaudium, uh, or the joy of the gospel, uh, this very important apostolic exhortation of, of Pope Francis uh, that really um, identifies the, the social dimensions of evangelization um, uh, very much in, in the spirit of, of previous uh, documents of, of the church. Evangelii Nuntiandi of Paul VI uh, especially is one that I have in mind um, here as, as kind of 
carrying on this tradition of, of thinking about the social dimensions of evangelization uh, and the church existing as mission and social mission, mission being a, a key component of that, of that mission. Uh, he also talks in that document, I won't go into detail more here, but just to say that the option for the poor is a theological category. Uh, and that's, of course, something that I think speaks to the, the, the Hispanic theological background from which, from which he comes. Um, the other theme that, uh, or concern that comes up, of course, in Pope Francis's thought that was really highlighted, of course, uh, was, was uh, that of the planet or the earth, the environment, uh, which, which, of course, is the focus of, of Laudato Si uh, on care for our common home. Um, and, uh, and I mean, really not much more needs to be said about that since there's been a great deal of commentary on, on Laudato Si. Um, but I, I'll return back to the, the document here in just a moment as a way of kind of helping to frame uh, his, um, the trajectory of social teaching during the Francis Papacy. Uh, the last, uh, of course, the most recent, the one that's the subject of our, our uh, conversation or my, my presentation today and, and our, our conversation later is, of course, Fratelli Tutti, uh, which, which deals with the theme of peace, which, uh, of course, again, speaks to his namesake, St. Francis, who opens up in the, the, the beginning part uh, of, the, um, of the encyclical uh, and, and reflecting on, on uh, his visit and interaction uh, with, with the Sultan uh, in, in Islam. And so, um, there, uh, you know, what we see in Fratelli Tutti is a, a reference to peace, not only at the local level, but but more, you know, uh, kind of substantively at the at the at the global level, right? Of of the the, the human family uh, being the the kind of central theme throughout this document, um, and and the the role, particularly that that faith and religion plays in securing that peace or promoting that piece, which is not merely the absence of war, but actually an active engagement and dialogue and friendship with, with different peoples. Uh, and of course, he ends that document, uh, uh, Fratelli Tutti, uh, with a reflection on the, the kind of interreligious peace building and friendship that, um, that he has with the Grand Imam. And, and, and also so that you see this, uh, again, this kind of reference to interreligious um, uh, peace building. Um, one of the things that kind of runs through these documents that I want to draw attention to and focusing on the theme of globalization um, is how the globalization of indifference uh, runs, uh, you know, through these documents as a sign of the times. Uh, you hear that language of economy of exclusion, um, the, this, this uh, kind of approach to globalization that, um, that ends up dividing society and, and forgetting uh, people on the margins of society, especially with respect to, to those who are part of, of not just the, the formal economy, but the informal economy, especially, um, which is given attention in, in this document. Um, but Francis isn't just negative in thinking about the sign of the times. I mean, and that's something that I really want to draw attention to here in looking at his uh, Latino social context um, and background is the attention he gives to um, a more positive sign of globalization that, that also comes out in this document. Um, the globalization of indifference, of course, was already an important theme going back to the beginning of his pontificate when he uh, went outside of Rome for the first time to visit the, the migrants of, of Lampedusa, um, where he first mentioned that, that theme. So to, 
I just gave you kind of a, a microcosm of Francis's thought on on uh, and social thought. Um, but now what I want to do is kind of step back and look at kind of where he fits in the trajectory of Catholic social teaching for the 21st century to see kind of some some patterns and themes uh, that that are coming forth in, in uh, the church's social teaching um, in the years to come. Uh, and one of the themes that really comes out, as we've seen in the, in the 21st century social documents, of which there are three, are the crises of globalization. Um, so that's really why I want to draw attention to globalization here in this presentation is because of the previous documents, um, going back to Benedict XVI and Caritas and Veritate, have been giving attention to these crises. Um, as you probably know, Caritas and Veritate, which came out in 2009, was coming out of this response to the global financial uh, crisis. Um, and, and in that context, uh, he really gives attention to what he calls the, the economy of communion or, or the logic of, of the gift, um, that he wants to see civil society really providing this kind of ameliorating and, and humanizing aspect to the wider economy um, and even politics. Um, and, and so that's where that, that language of communion is, is important. And it's something that really does run through Francis's uh, pontificate as well, although it, it uh, sometimes doesn't get uh, enough attention. Uh, the other uh, document, of course, that we've already referenced was, was Laudato Si, which really kind of considers the ecological crisis of globalization under what Francis calls the, uh, the technocratic uh, paradigm. Um, and uh, <clears throat> that uh, document, of course, doesn't just focus on that kind of apocalyptic uh, dimension, but rather also provides a, you know, through the, the, the kind of standards see, judge, act model of Catholic social teaching. It provides uh, kind of really parameters for, for, for social action through this concept of integral ecology. Uh, that's really a, a, an expansion and extension of uh, the church's language of, of integral development or the development of peoples that goes back to Pope Paul VI, um, a theme that I'll, I'll also return back to. And then lastly, Fratelli Tutti, I think one way of thinking about the, the significance of this document following the kind of the different crises of globalization is that it's in the context of the pandemic uh, and, and uh, you know, ethnic and racial conflicts that we're seeing with the rise of populism uh, around, around the world um, is, is really the political crisis of, of globalization. Um, and, and that's uh, really kind of the, the theme here that, that's going to come out in, in the talk uh, today. Um, but again, not just having a sort of negative vision here, Francis talks uh, about the, the unity of the human family, a kind of unity and diversity, um, and, and the social friendship and the popular solidarity um, that, that can be promoted uh, in, in the face of that kind of political crisis um, posed by a kind of singular model of globalization or, or homogenous model of globalization that we'll, we'll talk about here momentarily. So what are some themes then uh, in looking at the, the, uh, the Latino social teaching, uh, if you will, of, of Pope Francis? Um, so the, the first thing I want to point out here is just the importance of uh, the global South and Hispanic demographics uh, in, in the significance of this document. Um, 
and, and how it, it really should inform the way we read this document. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's no doubt that the, the, the church, uh, the, think Latin America has really emerged in the latter half of the 20th century and now in the 21st century as a kind of source church. Um, and that's a term that's been used by different theologians. Um, but what it's recognizing, at least on, on, a, uh, on a, you know, a demographic level, is just the fact that, um, you know, Latin America and, and, you know, or South America, rather, is, is the most populous Catholic continent in the world. Um, and 40% and of Catholics worldwide reside, um, reside in Latin America. Um, and so that has displaced Europe as being the kind of center and the hub of, of Catholicism. Um, and so it's really telling that we have our first uh, Pope coming from the global South and from Latin America in, in the 20th, first century uh, to reflect those kinds of, of shifts. Um, but also the global South constitutes more than two thirds of the universal church. So I think we should anticipate greater attention to the themes that come out in Francis's pontificate um, for, uh, for the, the future of Catholic social teaching, um, especially if we begin to have more popes from the global South. Um, that's just something I think to keep in mind. Um, the other uh, key component here that I wanna draw attention to in this talk is the role that um, a theology of the people or la teología del pueblo um, has for Pope Francis uh, and, and, and really kind of the, the, the center, uh, the, the, the focus that he gives um, to the concept of the people in this document, I think is going to be a lasting legacy uh, of this document if, it, if it's taken seriously. Um, and, and one of the things that I think really comes out of this document, and again, it's a, it's a reflection on this, this theology of the people that has um, really kind of Argentine roots uh, that I'll talk about more here shortly, um, is that it really gives, I think, a, a more robust and substantive, uh, substantive account of what Pope John Paul II um, referred to in previous social encyclicals as the subjectivity of society. Um, and, and this is, I think, a really important theme for thinking about the future of democracies where, uh, you know, the kinds of conflicts we're facing today uh, within democratic societies, not just with the rise of populism, but um, just all kinds of, of, of issues pertaining to wealth inequality and, and globalization, um, that, that the, the subjectivity of society and the participation of people within society and having that sense of being a people or be, becoming a people is, is really uh, some, an important theme that's, that's not, uh, not going to go away anytime soon. Um, and so just another way of, of emphasizing the, the importance of, of the, the Hispanic kind of theological background of Pope Francis um, is, you know, the, the, um, the different contributions that the Latin American church has made on social thought in the last 50, 60 years, um, particularly with the language of the preferential option for the poor, uh, which, which first emerged in, in the context of Latin American bishops meetings um, at Puebla in 19, um, you know, 1979. And, and so uh, in the Medellin before that in, in the 1960s, 1968, um, 
that, that that language of turning to the poor found its way to the universal or global church um, through the, the, the papacy of John Paul II, uh, as well as the theme of, of structural sin uh, or the structures of sin. Um, so, so again, here are kind of theological categories that, um, that uh, have made their mark on the global church that first emerged out of this kind of regional context of Latin America. And I think we're going to find something, or I hope we'll maybe see something similar with Francis's notion of, of the people, uh, leaving a kind of mark on, on um, the universal church and the future of, of social, um, social teaching. The last point I want to make uh, about the, the contribution of, of Fratelli Tutti is its attention to this uh, term that's uh, often used, but, but sometimes vaguely deployed um, or not clearly deployed, the term uh, of neoliberalism. Uh, whenever you have an ism in Catholic social teaching, you know, it's always a, a sign that, that this is something important um, going back to the, um, the use of, of uh, you know, isms with respect to uh, uh, socialism, uh, collectivism, individualism, liberalism, right? These various isms are, are ways that the church has drawn uh, attention to ideologies that are, are deeply influential in shaping social, political, and economic life uh, for peoples. Um, and so the term neoliberalism is uh, unsurprisingly invoked here kind of after the fact, uh, that is, you know, this is a term and, a, and an object of study in the social sciences and, and historians now are really giving more attention to this topic. Um, you know, it's, it's been out for some time, but like many of the church's social teachings, uh, it comes a, a bit late, um, but, but nevertheless, it's there now and it's part of the, the, um, the documentary heritage and tradition. Um, and so it's something that I think deserves attention, at least with respect to how it emerged in Francis's own um, Hispanic uh, background in Latin America. Um, and also, of course, the kind of flip side of neoliberalism is this, this theme of globalization from, from the people, um, which we'll be coming back to. All right, so the theme uh, that we find in this document as elsewhere, especially in Evangelii uh, Gaudium or the joy of the gospel is this this theme uh, that Francis wants to really uh, make a, a centerpiece of his papacy, and that's on becoming a people, right, which is a theme, obviously, that's, that's very important for us today in this very divisive political culture that, that we live in. Uh, what does it mean to be a people? Um, and and uh, the, the first thing to say is that this notion of becoming a people was already uh, an important aspect of Francis's uh, Episcopal ministry uh, when he was Archbishop of Buenos Aires. Um, the, that is the theme of, of El Pueblo, uh, that is the people. Um, that, that this was important to him as a way of kind of mobilizing national identity, but not in a way that's prone to uh, division or scapegoating or, or nativism or, or racism for that matter. Um, but rather, again, a kind of unity and diversity um, that, that, that uh, the, 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 the term Pueblo uh, can have this kind of mobilizing uh, force for restoring a sense of being home uh, um, among uh, people with a shared identity. Um, and, and when he was Bishop of Buenos Aires, he 
he or Archbishop, he he released a document called La Nación para Construir in 2005, where he actually gives El Pueblo a kind of consideration, central consideration uh, in that as a way of, of helping to kind of rejuvenate um, an Argentine sense of peoplehood. Um, and, and there it's interesting, uh, especially given to, some of the topics that are forthcoming for the Lumen Christi Institute, that he draws on, on St. Augustine's account of, of um, how we think about a people um, that, that comes from uh, the city of God. Uh, and that's something I think worth um, just giving, giving attention to that uh, a people is a, you know, a common fellowship uh, of, of rational beings united by their common objects of love. So this is a, a theme that he wants to use or an idea he wants to use is kind of getting at what it means to be a people. Um, another theme uh, that, that comes out in thinking about the, the process of, again, and it's a process of becoming a people. We're not just a people to begin with. It's something that's actually uh, constructed in Francis's um, his, uh, his uh, approach. And, and I think that's worth considering that. Um, but in doing that, the, the, he, he also gives uh, attention to the, the language of the people of God that, that comes out of the Second Vatican Council and that the people of God uh, incarnate in peoples of the earth, right? Um, and so that, that, that theme of enculturation of the gospel being enculturated in different peoples is again, what adds to the richness and the diversity of the church uh, even, even as it's unified in, in uh, this global and universal sense. Um, and, uh, you know, a facet of being a people is, is peoples are, are kind of agents of history and this is, and, or subjects of history. And that's something that uh, will also come out more as we talk about um, this theme of, of peoplehood. Uh, and, and also the joy of the gospel, the, the attention that it gives to, to constructing or becoming a people according to these four pillars that, that Pope Francis mentions, and I'll just quickly recite them here, but that time is greater than space, unity prevails over conflict, realities are greater than ideas, and the whole is greater than the parts. These are all pillars he sees as being uh, integrally connected to the church's social teachings um, and, and are, are, are crucial for how it is that we can become uh, a people in our particular, um, particular context. Um, another theme here of being a people is the role that piety plays and popular piety as a kind of locus of theological reflection. And then this is, I think, just reflective of his uh, Hispanic theological context and something that's been very important in, in U.S. Uh, Latino or Latinx theology, uh, the role of popular piety. Um, but that becoming a people, too, also entails this culture of encounter. Uh, where we're encountering others and yet finding common ground and shared aspects of, of identity despite our differences. Um, and, and lastly, the role that work and employment plays uh, in this uh, construction of peoplehood. This is a theme, again, I'll return back to later in the presentation, um, but something that is, again, kind of integral to what it means to be a people is, is uh, you know, the dignity of labor is crucial in that, in that endeavor. Um, so, the people versus populism. This is a, a contested aspect of Pope Francis. Uh, is he a populist um, given his, his Hispanic or Argentine background uh, and, and uh, the leadership of President Juan Perón uh, in, in his Argentine background? Um, 
And I think here it's important to, to focus on the distinction he wants to make between the people and, and populism. Um, and one of the points he makes in, uh, in his writings is to say that, that populism, uh, and in particular his, his recent book, Let Us Dream, uh, which has a number of reflections that really overlap nicely with themes in Fratelli Tutti, um, populism is, is reacting to, uh, to a form of globalization that has gone wrong. So it's protesting something that Francis thinks is, is real. Um, so it speaks to, to something in populism that can be kind of alluring and attractive. Um, and yet it goes wrong by its, its, uh, its divisiveness or its, its presumption to speak on behalf of all people um, and, and uh, through a kind of demagoguery or, or whatever resources or, or means it uses to scapegoat and to, um, to create division in society rather, rather than unity. Um, now, to say more about that Argentine social context of Pope Francis, um, it, it is important to recognize just how, uh, how much the, the legacy of, of kind of, of uh, Perón and, and um, Peronism plays in, in uh, his thought and, and the thought of the theology of the people that emerges from Argentina uh, in the second half of the 20th century. Um, Perón um, really kind of emerged as a figure who is against oligarchy and elitism uh, and kind of trying to find this third way between communism and liberalism by, by um, focusing on, on uh, workers. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it, we should recognize that Francis himself never uh, came to, to politically endorse the, the party. Um, nor did he obviously ever adopt a kind of messianic view of Perón that, that was characteristic of, of a number of his, his followers. Uh, so I think it's important to, to see here the, the, the figure instead of, of Martin uh, Fierro, uh, who is this, um, this kind of 19th century iconic figure um, that, that uh, was, was uh, memorialized in the writings of, of uh, Jose Hernandez that uh, really is a figure of the gaucho, which is you know, a kind of mestizo-like character who, who uh, really embodies this kind of uni unity and diversity um, of the Argentine people, um, where you see this kind of mixing of cultures and, and ethnicities and, and roles, a kind of interculturality. Um, this, I think more in Francis's thought is, is, is kind of holds the substance of what it means to be a people, a story like this, because the people for Francis is, is uh, he wants to say a kind of mythical uh, uh, and historical category. Um, and mythical not meaning you know, made up, but rather kind of rooted in stories and in art. It has the ability to kind of captivate the imagination and think outside kind of the categories of, of um, you know, kind of standard conventional categories. Um, the other uh, important kind of contribution to Francis's understanding of the, the people or Pueblo um, was the, the San Miguel Declaration, uh, which came out of the Argentine Bishop Con Bishops Conference in the 1960s, after the Second Vatican Council, um, after uh, uh, the, the meeting of Latin American bishops in Medellin. Um, this, the San Miguel Declaration was, was very important um, because it, it emphasized the pastoral aim of becoming a, a people of God in the midst of poor people. Um, and so this, this San Miguel Declaration is really kind of a blueprint for the theology of the people um, that, that ends up developing um, 
later in, in Argentina or Rio de la Plata school of thought, you might say, um, that really draws attention to ordinary, ordinary working peoples as, as the subjects of their own history. Um, another aspect here is just Francis's own Episcopal uh, uh, you know, experience, right? Um, and and uh, his working particularly uh, with, with uh, communities uh, of clergy that, that were working among the poor uh, in, 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 uh, in, in slums. Um, and so Francis, uh, as part of his ministry, would go out and celebrate mass on these kind of in these marginalized communities. Um, that were really uh, developing in the, in the 1980s and 90s um, to draw attention to, um, to the popular piety that exists, uh, especially among the poor. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that during Francis's own life, he was a very strong proponent and supporter of the movement of, of excluded workers um, in, in Argentina and in Buenos Aires, uh, befriending one of their, their chief kind of uh, the social organizers and, and legal advocates um, during, during his, um, his episcopacy. Um, and, and Francis himself even spent time, he talks about this, records this in his, um, his book, Let Us Dream, um, his time that he spent with cartoneros or those who would go around in, at night kind of in garbage heaps collecting items to recycle um, and selling those items just to make ends meet. Um, again, members of that kind of informal uh, economy or the, the excluded members of, of the economy that, that Francis himself had direct experience with uh, in, in uh, encountering um, the people of faith on these, on these margins. Um, and lastly, just I want to give brief attention here to the something that that some commentators of Francis have already done. Um, it's just the the political legacy of the Spanish Jesuit uh, Francisco Suarez, um, who is uh, someone who who has a, a political uh, kind of story and legacy in in Argentina, uh, where his thought was actually important in the um, in influencing the the eighteen ten May Revolution. Uh, of kind of setting the, the foundations for, for Argentine independence. Um, and, and this is something that uh, I think comes out in Francis's document, it's particularly in, in Fratelli Tutti, where he talks about the right of peoples, um, a, a term that has kind of fallen out of favor in, in the last 50, 60 years in Catholic social teaching, which is the law of nations. Um, Francis seems to still want to give attention to that, that um, concept, or at least kind of resuscitate it in a new global uh, context that we're in, um, as well as the language of natural rights. Um, and this, of course, comes up in a, in a very interesting way when the document makes the distinction between primary natural right and secondary natural right, um, and primary natural right being uh, uh, a principle that that recognizes the universal destination of the good of goods, um, and or the right of common use among all peoples, the way the the, the scholastic heritage would put it, um, that Francisco Suarez belonged to. Um, in contrast to say private property, which which Francis uh, refers to as a secondary natural right. Francis isn't making this up. I mean, this is something that goes back to the Spanish scholastics, Suarez in particular, but even earlier in the medieval scholastic and um, canon legal tradition. Um, so that, that's something I think also that, that begs or deserves attention. Um, 
now turning to this theme of, of neoliberalism, um, again, this is a term that's, that's nowhere else in other encyclicals, at least in any explicit way, but I think we find already in previous social teaching uh, attention to this, this concept um, in, in, in different ways, uh, even though the term may not be used the way as explicitly as Francis uses it. And here I just want to draw attention to um, uh, Pope Paul VI's uh, 80th year commemoration of, of uh, Rerum Novarum, which is seen as the first of the social encyclicals of the modern tradition, um, Octogesima Adveniens, where um, Paul VI spoke about that uh, under the driving force of new systems of production, national frontiers are breaking down and we can see new economic powers emerging the multinational enterprises, which by the concentration and flexibility of their means can conduct autonomous strategies, which are largely independent of the national political powers and therefore not subject to control from the point of view of the common good. By extending their activities, these private organizations can lead to a new and abusive form of economic domination on the social, cultural, and even political level. The excessive concentration on the means and powers that Pope Pius XI already condemned uh, on the 40th anniversary of Ram Navarum is taking on a, a new and very real image. Right, so this is in 1971, where we're already kind of, you know, obviously the Cold War is very much, uh, you know, in effect here. Um, and, and you've gotten a great deal of attention in the social writings on, on the kind of conflict between liberal individualism and, and collectivist uh, socialism or communism. Um, but there's another theme as well that often can get kind of lost sight of in, in that bipolar uh, sort of uh, interpretation of, of the church's social teachings. And that's the language uh, that Pius XI and Paul VI, or that uh, the term that they use uh, of the international imperialism of money, uh, which, which he's giving an account of here uh, in, in this passage from Octogesima Advenians. This is the age of multinationals and, and transnational corporations, right? And, and really a kind of weakening of the sovereign state. I mean, one thing that, that often gets lost sight of is probably the greatest defender of the sovereignty of the state in the 20th century um, has actually been the, the papacy, the, the institution that's given the kind of greatest credence to, to the, so, the sovereignty of the state, which may seem kind of uh, you know, unconventional uh, way of thinking, given that human rights is often seen as emerging uh, in the aftermath of totalitarianism and the violence of particular states, nation states against their citizens. Um, but nevertheless, in the, con in the kind of global context uh, and the larger vision of Catholic social thought, um, the, the, one of the great dangers that the popes continually give attention to, and one of the reasons they use this language of social justice uh, is, is to really, um, to not allow the economy to, to dictate the terms of politics, right? Uh, which is something that really tends to happen in this kind of neoliberal context of globalization that, um, the, that the popes have been giving attention to in, in, uh, in the 20th century already. Um, and, and one of the kind of key features of, of what you might call a kind of neoliberal outlook um, in, this, in this period of the 20th century is, uh, is the, the desire and the kind of uh, the role of technical experts and, and economists uh, and even political thinkers in, in wanting to protect and encase the world economy, 
um, and, and in particular, uh, private capital uh, and the right of free trade uh, to protect that from what, what is often seen as the, the threat to that um, freedom of, of trade uh, and, and uh, the, the expansion of private capital across national borders uh, from regionalism uh, and from democratic social movements. Um, there, there's been increasing uh, historiography on this uh, as well as social scientific work to kind of chart this development uh, in, in uh, what one author calls the kind of Geneva School. Um, Friedrich Hayek and other figures are kind of associated with developing the, the, the kind of uh, the roots of a, of a sort of neoliberal outlook. Um, and it doesn't mean the kind of evisceration of the state, but rather seeing the state as being subservient and protective of a certain understanding of the world economy uh, that's advantageous to, to the global north, typically how it plays out sociologically. Um, but Francis's understanding of neoliberalism is undoubtedly shaped by the, the uh, reflection on, on this uh, transformation uh, in Latin America. Um, and so, you know, one of the key documents I think that's worth uh, giving attention to here uh, is, is the one put out by the Latin American Jesuits on the topic of, of neoliberalism in Latin America. And of course, Francis being a Jesuit, he would have been very well aware of this document uh, in, in his own social thinking. Um, and, and this document was really just trying to, to give attention to the, the transformations, really kind of major transformations that were occurring across Latin America uh, in the 80s and the 90s in particular, um, and, and just trying to provide some kind of social analysis um, it, uh, with respect to, to these, uh, these economic transformations, um, kind of one of which was the result of the emergence, as you see in this, this very telling image here of a, of a Brazilian uh, city, um, of, of the emergence of the favelas or the, the slums, right, during this period, especially of the 80s uh, and, and 90s, to really kind of show the, the wealth disparity that, that's so pronounced uh, in, in Latin American societies that, that are, are inseparable from the economic uh, and political transformations um, that, that were taking place. Um, the other, uh, I think, documents that are important to, to consider for shaping Francis's thought on, on globalization and, and uh, in particular neoliberal globalization um, were the two Salem documents, one being on the, the kind of ethics of globalization uh, which, which looks at both kind of the, the positive uh, account of globalization or globalization from, from below, as, as it's called in that document, uh, in contrast to this more kind of homogenous, uh, asymmetrical expression of globalization that doesn't respect the autonomy of cultures and peoples the way, or subsidiarity for that matter, the way it's, it's emphasized in Catholic social thought uh, under a, a more kind of neoliberal uh, model. Um, and, and the other uh, document, of course, is one that Francis had uh, a direct involvement in. Uh, it's the over overseer of, of the, the drafting of the document was the meeting at Aparecida of the Latin American bishops, where, where that document as well talks about the, the kind of the weakening of the state uh, in, in Latin America and, and how, um, you know, the, this kind of global economy of exclusion uh, has, has manifest itself um, in, in the context uh, of Latin American 
Latin American countries. And, and of course, as we probably you may have heard, uh, it's this document too, where, where or in the context of drafting that document in Aparecida that, that Francis really begins to give attention in his own, uh, in his own um, ministry to the question of, of ecology. Um, given the, the importance of, of the Amazon in, in uh, Latin America um, and the, the struggle of, of indigenous peoples in particular. I mean, I find it interesting that Francis's recent comments um, on, on his own kind of ecological conversion, as he puts it, um, happened in the context of drafting that document where he initially went into that meeting of Aparecida being like, well, what's the big deal? You all are talking about the Amazon all the time. I mean, he's very, you know, as he often is very kind of blunt and forthright about his, his, uh, his views um, and, and how over the course of the drafting of that document and the exchange, he came to realize just how important this was uh, as, a, as an aspect of the church's um, mission. And, and you see that of course reflected in, in the apostolic exhortation um, on, on Querida Amazonia, the, the beloved Amazon. Uh, and lastly, I mean, kind of one of the ways that, that the, the, the neoliberal globalization, and this has been a subject of, of social scientific analysis, has kind of bore out to, uh, to the disadvantage of, of the, the poor, has been a kind of reflection on, on the structural adjustment programs that were instituted as a means of, of uh, addressing um, the, the monumental and, and relieving the monumental debt crisis that, that was afflicting Latin America in particular, um, and also many third world countries um, during, during the 1980s. And, and the role that, that the, um, you know, the, the IMF uh, and the, the World Bank played in kind of carrying out um, those, those adjustment programs um, that, that were uh, designed under kind of this austerity um, and uh, in an effort to promote kind of, you know, uh, national growth in Latin American countries, but according to economic indicators. So when Francis uses that language of trickle down that has kind of rubbed some uh, people and economists and certain people the wrong way, um, that's the, the context, I think, to understand that, um, how those policies kind of played out, ones that deregulated um, the activities of multinationals and transnational corporations. Um, that, that uh, raised interest rates, cut government spending, uh, and, and increased the production of exports. Um, that, that kind of model that was imposed on Latin American countries asymmetrically as a way of relieving debt, um, according to the, the, the measures that were being imposed, were, did not work out to the advantage of, of the poor. Um, so what can be sort of seen then as the, the alternative here that Francis presents, and this is really kind of the last part of the, the presentation that I, I wanna draw attention to. Um, Francis, I see Francis is really kind of picking up on this, something that's been happening in the Latin American church since um, the, the post-conciliar meetings of, of Salem, the, the Latin American bishops of Medellin and Puebla, um, especially, which is really a kind of alternative view of human rights. Um, that, that goes back to the, the option for the poor um, and, and what uh, Medellin calls the rights of the poor in particular, that, that this speaks to, again, that kind of, um, that ecclesial context um, that, that uh, gave rise to, to liberation theologies um, and, and uh, this, this Teologia del Pueblo that, that you find Francis being uh, more um, kind of rooted in. 
And so, um, you know, the one of the interesting aspects here, I think, of, of this kind of alternative view of human rights that Francis will talk about in Fratelli Tutti, he says, uh, all this calls for an alternative way of thinking. Without an attempt to enter into that way of thinking, what I'm saying here will sound wildly unrealistic. We can aspire to a world that provides land, housing, and work for all. So what is this alternative way of thinking? And I think one way of characterizing it is it's, it's a way of thinking from the global south, um, to, to kind of put it you know, very kind of crudely and simply. Um, it's, it's just a different way of thinking about what matters in the life of a people and, and what, what you know, can be sort of getting attention in terms of uh, the church's social analysis of, of the problems that, that afflict society. Um, and, and one of the ways I think that's interesting in which Francis um, draws attention to this, this alternative perspective, and again, this is something I think you find characteristic of, of Latin American theologians already in the 70s and 80s, um, who are very critical of, of ideas of human rights from the global north, like someone like Jimmy Carter, who made you know, human rights kind of a, a central theme of his foreign policy, for example. Um, and, and that was very, a number of Latin American social theorists and theologians were very cautious about that language and actually very critical of it because it was seen as being tied to an economic and political agenda. Um, and so I find it interesting that in Francis's thought and in, in his discussion of neoliberalism, he's also talking about um, insufficiently universal human rights. Um, and then there's been some history done on this uh, in the past you know, decade or so charting kind of the, the curious, peculiar emergence of both neoliberalism as, as a kind of economic, political um, ideology and, and, and uh, its reforms, as well as the language of human, universal human rights uh, as a matter of foreign policy and the rise of, um, of human rights organizations uh, or non-governmental organizations. Um, that there, there's a curious coincidence of, of the rise of these two things and what is the relationship between the two. I think Francis gives us a way of thinking about that when, when he says uh, in, in Evangelii Gaudium, right? Sadly, even human rights can be used as an inordinate defense of individual rights or the rights of richer peoples. Whose rights are being defended here in this, in this talk about human rights? That, that's something that um, is really crucial to, to Francis's uh, deployment of that language. Um, critical deployment of that language of human rights. It's oftentimes taken for granted as a kind of lingua franca of uh, universal justice or global justice. Um, and one of the ways of getting at that kind of alternative point of view is, is the, the rights of the poor, the rights of migrants and indigenous peoples that gets more attention in his, his ministry and in his writings. Um, as I mentioned before, the rights of the poor kind of emerged in the context of, of the Latin American church uh, as a way of challenging um, views of human rights that, that oftentimes get sort of reduced to civil and political rights, right? Um, the right to free speech. I mean, these are obviously important things, um, but, but that shouldn't be kind of dictating how we think about human rights because for Francis, one of, one of the, what ends up happening in that kind of attention to civil political rights um, is, is uh, and, and, and I think a number of other Latin American theologians is, is rights become kind of determined by the language of private property. So they become more individualistic or individualized. Um, and, and that loses that sense of the social nature of the human person, but also socioeconomic rights, cultural rights, and, and environmental rights that 
um, the church is drawing more attention to now. And, and I think the way that he does this is through his kind of sacred trifecta of rights, um, which interestingly enough, private property is not there. Uh, and again, this has drawn some, some response from, from uh, Francis's uh, supporters and critics alike, right? Um, so he gives attention to what he calls the las tres T, uh, or the three L's of labor, lodging, and land in English, uh, or trabajo, techo, and tierra. Um, this is a, a key theme or attention to these rights in particular, uh, which Francis thinks are actually uh, are, are, are prerequisites for having a true democracy. Uh, he'll say that in the context of his meetings with popular movements. Uh, and that's where I really wanna kind of end this uh, presentation today is the importance of the world meetings of popular movements that have characterized uh, Francis's papacy. And I think we'll have a, an important legacy for the future of the church in the 20th century. And it's here in the context of these meetings, these transnational meetings that draw together organizations, both people of faith and, and no faith at all, um, coming into these, these settings to talk about their kind of shared plight and solidarity uh, in the attempt to, to craft really a kind of globalization from below or, or what you might call a kind of subsidiarity activism. Um, that, that creatively resists what Francis calls in these uh, letters to the popular movements, the idolatry of money, uh, which is a term he also uses in Evangelii Gaudium, um, or Dios Dinero, uh, the money god. Um, so this is the kind of empire of mammon that, that Francis gives a lot of attention to that um, is manifest in this kind of globalization uh, of, of indifference or an economy of, of exclusion. Um, really wanting to give attention to the voices of the people who struggle in the face of that. Again, members of both the formal and the informal um, economy. Um, <clears throat> Francis has hosted these meetings at the Vatican, but, but also elsewhere. Um, he also uh, hosted a meeting in, in Bolivia with indigenous peoples. And one thing I find really interesting uh, here drawing this presentation to a close is, is the kind of providential and Christological importance that the organized poor have for Francis. Uh, and I think, again, this speaks to the kind of um, the, the Latin American theological context that shapes his thought, um, where he writes in, in uh, the third world meeting of popular movements, his letter, he says, sometimes uh, I think that when you, the organized poor, create your own work, establishing a cooperative, restoring a ruined factory, recycling the re refuse of the co consumer society, braving the elements in order to sell your wares in a public square, reclaiming a parcel of farmland to feed the hungry. Whenever you do these things, you are imitating Jesus because you are trying to heal, even if minimally and provisionally that atrophy of the dominant socioeconomic system, which is unemployment. <clears throat> I am not surprised that at times you find yourselves being watched or persecuted, nor am I surprised that the proud have no interest in what you are saying. Um, so there in that passage, uh, Francis uh, pre precedes that reflection there by talking about Jesus's healing of the man with the withered hand um, uh, in, in, uh, in the gospels uh, on the Sabbath and how, how in doing that, he's healing the worker uh, of his hands and the ability, giving him kind of the, the ability to work once again and the dignity of work. Um, and that that drew a great criticism and ire from the, the Pharisees. Um, and so that image of, of the, the, uh, these organized um, communities of workers uh, 
these movements as as reflecting kind of the the life of Jesus um, is is something that I think is is very uh, interesting and and intriguing about Francis's thought. And it would just say too that that this attention to popular movements again to speak to the Latin American context, um, you know, it's it's the the attention to these these movements um, happens, uh, you know. In the 2000s, uh, there's, there's a great attention to what's known as the World Social Forum, which is a, a collective gathering of different social movements um, meeting in, in, uh, in uh, Porto Alegre in Brazil in 2001. That's meant to be a kind of a model, an alternative model of, of globalization that, that resists neoliberalism um, via kind of transnational uh, counter, counter public um, of movements that are in solidarity with one another. So again, that, that World Social Forum is another, I think, important kind of Latin American um, context in which Francis is framing his attention to these popular movements. And lastly, the, just to conclude, um, the, the, the possibility of becoming a people, I think really relies on something that Francis has given attention to following the, the encyclical of Benedict XVI on charity and truth which is the, this desire to, to establish a kind of new social compact or a cultural covenant um, for the sake of, of securing and promoting peace. Um, and that this is something I think that's again, very kind of intriguing in Francis's thought as, as a kind of um, alternative to what we might see with the sort of standard um, liberal social contract model of individuals coming together to, to form a society, but rather uh, a people uh, being formed uh, willingly and voluntarily um, in solidarity with one another. So with that, there was a lot here and I appreciate your patience uh, in, in getting through this material. Um, and there's a lot here that I didn't get to in terms of details, but, but perhaps we can talk more about that um, during the Q&A. So thank you. Thank you so much, David. I'm astounded. Uh, there's so many different moving parts that you addressed very deftly and in an integrated fashion, ongoing process of economic globalization, Salem roots, Argentine roots, Buenos Aires roots, and then also the relationship to Latino ideas about peoplehood. And you even brought in the Imitatio Christi. So congratulations. Thank you very much. There's some really interesting questions in the chat. I'd like to get right to it. Uh, since it was a question of clarification, let's start by recognizing Molly Greening. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you so much for your talk. Um, I had a clarifying question here because you mentioned something about the law of nations and how it's fallen out of favor in the past, I think you said 50 or 60 years. And I was just wondering, could you say some more about this? Um, why did this term fall out of favor? And how is Pope Francis's use of these primary and secondary natural rights responding to that, resuscitating it in a different way? That's a great question. Yeah. So when I what I meant by falling out of favor, I specifically meant that in the context of the church's social teachings, um, not not generally with respect to international law, because um, international law has its own kind of history of using that terminology um, that, that follows a little bit of a different trajectory. Um, but I'll, I'll get to both of those. I mean, one, one point to say is that I think it just, it really kind of falls out of favor because it no longer has the hold it once did in the international 
realm. Um, uh, it, it's, uh, the, the law of nations was, uh, I think, always historically a very important concept in the church's uh, teachings or kind of social and political tradition um, because it was able to recognize kind of the, 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 the rationality of peoples across very different cultures that, that could have um, similar kinds of practices um, that, that, uh, that aren't necessarily uh, derived directly from what you might call the natural law, but still speak to kind of uh, societies, different societies' own way of, of adjudicating what, um, what would be beneficial for that society. And so everything from slavery to private property usually fell under that categorization of the law of nations. Um, I think one of the reasons it kind of, it really fell out of favor in Catholic social thought was historically the law of nations, again, was the space in which the church, uh, or, or, or at least Catholic thought could, could locate something like private property. Um, and, uh, and with Leo the 13th, you get a very different kind of, uh, develop or a development in the tradition to, to emphasize more the kind of the natural basis of private property. Uh, to the point of, of seeing it rather as a, as a kind of natural right. Um, and so with that, you know, and slavery, obviously, and the abolition of slavery, there's no need to talk about that as being part of the law of nations anymore. Um, it just, I think it loses its, its character, its, its importance um, with the church, given the, the development of the church's social thought, um, uh, with, I think in large part with respect to private property uh, and, and also slavery. Um, but also because it just sort of falls out of favor in the international um, legal realm um, uh, for, for various reasons. Um, there's a kind of positivism that really uh, takes over in late 19th century international law that, that uh, doesn't kind of hold on to that understanding of the law of nations as this in-between of, of civil positive law and, and natural law. So it so there, there, yeah, there's a, a larger story to tell there. Um, but, but yeah, I'm glad you, you mentioned it because when, when Francisco Suarez mentions uh, private property, for example, as, or when he talks about secondary natural rights and private property falling under, under that, um, he also talks about that as being a concessive uh, law of nations uh, as well. So he's kind of using the, the secondary natural rights as another way of talking about uh, the law of nations. Uh, this is very technical, and and uh, but but that that's I think um, that's just to give more context. But that's a great question. Thank you, Molly, for that question. So there's a series of questions about translating this uh, vi social vision that comes from Latin America into the U.S. context, and I'm going to try to summarize two or three of them and see if you might want to address some aspect of that. So an anonymous attendee asks, how does this Latino Catholic social thought? affect evangelization specifically specifically to Latinos in the United States. And Luis Carlos Ayala in a similar vein talks about how neoliberalism is sometimes seen as the antithesis of communism and socialism and asks, do you think that the embrace of neoliberalism in the US is a product of poor catechism and lack of understanding the gospel due to the national church in parentheses North versus South? Let me just stop there. And see if you want to say something about the challenge of translating this Latin American vision into U.S. and Latino context. Yeah, no, those are both uh, great uh, 
great questions um, that are, are challenging questions given the, the attempt to try to um, apply this to a, a North American or US context. Um, the question of Latino social thought and evangelization, um, I, I think one of the, the benefits of kind of turning to this, um, this past and this heritage of, of a figure, a prominent figure like Pope Francis is um, I think it gets at a kind of greater depth of, of the Latino theological tradition, um, which, which oftentimes to the outside church, or I should say the, the kind of, you know, more Anglo, Anglo church in, in North America um, will, will often see uh, Hispanic communities or this Hispanic church as, oh yeah, there's popular piety, um, you know, and, and, and but, but there's not really a kind of a deeper story or a deeper narrative or tradition. Um, and, and so that's where I think of the work of like Archbishop Gomez, uh, who's I think done really important work on trying to at least making an attempt to try to recover that Latino heritage just here in the United States, because that's something that uh, the Catholic church needs to be far more proactive about in talking about the, the Hispanic history of the United States, um, rather than just the kind of Anglo Protestant or maybe Catholic Maryland, whatever it might be, uh, and talking about the, the history of our, 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 the founding of our nation. Um, so I, I think the, the language that's used in the, the, the kind of Rio de la Plata school that I referred to, the theology of the people school in Argentina that Francis belongs to, uh, is this notion of la patria grande, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of large identity of, of Latinos or Hispanics, right, that, that connects the North and the South. And I think one of the ways that that's happening in, in this kind of evangelical moment now is um, part of the work that Peter's been directly involved in and so many others that I've been um, very privileged to, to be a part of is the interaction between Hispanics in North America and, and Latin America and that dialogue as being kind of a shared having a shared identity is, is referring to this kind of patria grande. And I think there we can find, uh, at least among theologians, we can find more resources. Um, but, but yeah, I think not, not to denigrate popular piety in the least, I think that's a rich and an ongoing resource um, for evangelization uh, in, in Hispanic um, communities or, or uh, in, in, uh, in drawing in people of faith to those communities. Um, the question of, of neoliberalism in the U.S. context, um, yeah, that I mean, it's 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 hard to to locate that now politically. Uh, I think that's actually a big challenge, and I, part of the reason why I want to draw attention to this theme um, in Francis's thought is because our politics uh, tends to play out very differently. And when we read Francis or his writings in the U.S. context, we tend to do it through this polarized filter that we have of, of our left versus right. Um, and, you know, there, there's some truth to those categories, of course, transnationally, but, um, but I think neoliberalism can sort of speak to uh, different facets uh, of, of our political life as a country that, that sort of are, are beyond the sort of left-right typology and perhaps even include both of those, uh, both of those political outlooks. And I think the church, uh, in, in, in its task, it has to be continually drawing attention to um, the, the, uh, the dangers of, of the, the idolatry of money. I think that that goes back to the very beginning of, of the church's ministry and, and the gospels. Um, and, and so that, that I think is, is, is something that, that deserves a great deal of attention. 
uh, in, in the, the evangelical life of the church, um, uh, oftentimes that, that gets kind of overburdened by these, these political debates and controversies. So you I, know I didn't get to that question, but it was a good. No, that's, that's great. You talked about popular movements and there's two, at least two questions about activist groups and how they might be included. Maybe we could recognize John Barncastle, Barnacastle, so he can ask his question. Hello. Hi. Hi, John. Um, sorry, I'm uh, cooking right now while I'm also watching this uh, <laughs> on the West Coast. But thanks, um, thanks for joining. <laughs> my uh, yeah. So my question is uh, kind of related to what you were just talking about. Given the uh, partisanship at the federal level, uh, and and in an effort to um, build on the uh, on the shared history and. Uh, and shared culture, particularly around the borderlands, what what spaces are there for subnational entities or activist groups um, to uh, to to build a more uh, cohesive transnational um, uh, unity between? Uh, I'm I'm thinking kind of particularly California and say Baja California, um, where there might be both political will and um, and a shared culture and, and history uh, on which on which to build a more inclusive uh, economic um, arrangement that 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 pushes back against the uh, the neoliberal neoliberal order. Yeah, no, that's um, I, I mean that that's a very particular question, but just kind of the spaces you're talking about. I mean, I, that's really why I wanted to draw attention to these these world meetings of popular movements, uh, one of which, you know, the regional meeting was held in Modesto, California several years ago. I don't know if you were familiar with that, um, but, but you can already see that kind of taking place on, on a regional level, um, the appropriation of, of that, that uh, message um, of, of Francis. And I think one thing to keep in mind here in terms of this, this pursuit as you're talking about in building these kinds of coalitions that can sometimes bring together very unlikely allies um, is that from the perspective of Francis, and this really deserves, um, you know, uh, mentioning here, it's not a paternalistic kind of relationship here to these movements. Um, so, so there really is that kind of grassroots mentality of, of being from the people. And I think his experience of being an archbishop in Buenos Aires and really kind of accompanying uh, the cartoneros in, in the, their, their plight uh, in, in, uh, within within BA um, is, is a model of that kind of accompaniment that, that he wants the church to participate in. Um, and, and certainly I think kind of the, there are already transnational actors with respect to the church and the different religious orders that you see, for example, with the Jesuits in the context of Latin America and their response to neoliberalism. But um, there, there are all kinds of ways uh, for this to, to kind of play out uh, among, among both religious and lay communities. Um, that, that kind of, again, from a theological standpoint, see themselves as, as or an ecclesiological standpoint, see themselves as, as accompanying and learning from these communities through dialogue rather than kind of coming in to impose some, some ideal. Um, but I know that doesn't get to your question sufficiently, but, but thank you. There's a lot of questions here and I'm afraid I won't be able to get to all of them, but a good concluding question was posed by Judy Holmes. Is she still there? We can ask her to, to raise that. Go ahead, Judy. 
presentation was excellent. Thanks so much. My my thought is, if you had the chance to meet and speak with Pope Francis, what would you ask him, or what would you say to him for all his work Gosh, in in wow. these areas? Wow, such a <laughs> presumptuous thing, right? To, to think of what I would ask him. I actually never thought of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I I. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, from a, from a, a uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I have a, a one kind of self-serving answer that has to do with my, my research on the topic, but I won't go there. Um, I think just with respect to this, this topic and this presentation, um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I would want to know where he thinks the church is heading in the 21st century. I mean, obviously we've already seen kind of his reflection on these, these various um, uh, crises that are taking place. But if he were to go out even, even farther, what, 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 what would he see as being the, the, the possibilities and the limits of, of, of the church's uh, uh Kind of advocacy for these these social issues um, in 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 the future, and particularly with respect to the, the digital age, I think that that to me is a, an area. We're talking about automation and all these other kinds of developments in technology. Um, the church is, as I pointed out, is always behind the curve when it comes to identifying and analyzing social issues, uh, and that's just the way it is uh, as as an institutional body. But then it has the the ability to kind of preserve that. Uh, through the, this documentary tradition, um, but but I, I want to know what he thinks about that world that's to come—the kind of the digital uh, uh, kind of world—and and and um, and and how we deal with with increasing, I think, uh, and growing wealth inequality in in that context. Um, I don't know. It's a great question. You've planted a seed, uh, Judy, so I appreciate it. So maybe if that day ever comes, um, just thank you for 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 getting me to think about that. Yeah, we've recorded this, so we'll send it to the Vatican, and you can expect a tweet on this issue tomorrow afternoon. No, I just want to thank you again, David. What an amazing presentation. You provoked a really great discussion. And among other things, you showed us the relationship to the broader Catholic social tradition and prepared the way for Miguel Romero's discussion about St. Thomas and disability for next week. So it's a great segue to what's coming afterwards as well. But I'd ask everyone, I want to thank everyone for joining us this evening, and especially for those who, uh, whose questions I weren't, I was not able to pose, I apologize, but I wanna thank everyone for being here and ask you to join me in congratulating and thanking David for this beautiful presentation. Thank you, thank you so much.